0: Be For the still-to-be-revealed Moses to come, as it was for the first exodus, so it will be for the last exodus. God will implement two exoduses, at least, for the very reason that we, as parents, are determined to throw as many graduation parties as we have graduating children. Consistency. Or, to use a more biblical-sounding term, we might say faithfulness. This is also exactly how the Apostle Paul thought when he wrote to the Corinthians about their excesses at the Lord's Supper. Speaking of the Exodus generation, Paul says that those ancestors had all drunk from the rock in the desert, and that that rock was Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.4 For the Corinthian believers, Paul argues, Christ again plays the role of that rock, this time through the bread of the Lord's Supper. Did the disciples see differences between then and now? Obviously. But the principle is the same. What the God of Israel did for His people in the first exodus reveals much about how God intends to operate in any subsequent God-initiated exodus. As it turns out for Paul, Jesus Christ is something like a new Moses, the instigator of a new Exodus. One Step Forward In my book The Exodus Revealed, I explored the historical backdrop to the most magnificent rescue operation in world history. In this case, Yahweh was the rescuer, Israel was the rescued, and Moses was the rescuing agent through whom this monumental event took place. Ultimately, Moses had not only freed the twelve tribes from bondage, but had also brought them together as a new people, a royal priesthood. 1 Peter 2.9 God did this not simply because he pitied the Israelites, but also because he wanted to extend mercy to the whole world. According to the terms of the Abrahamic Covenant, Genesis chapters 12, 15, and 17, all the nations would be blessed through the seed of Abraham. This blessing promised to reverse the curse of the fall, a fall that had brought creation to the brink of utter collapse. Genesis chapters 3 through 11. Thus, the Exodus story was not only a story of Israel's deliverance, but also a story about the redemption of creation. Most of us know the story of where and how everything went wrong. It began one day in Eden, when the primordial couple took the serpent's advice and disobeyed Yahweh's clear command regarding the tree of knowledge. From there, things fell apart pretty quickly. Quickly, yes, but at the same time, the shock waves of Adam and Eve's sin would also continue to reverberate down through successive generations. Setting things right would take years, indeed, centuries and millennia. The process initiated by the covenant with Abraham was a kind of down payment demonstrating God's deep interest in restoring creation. This restoration was not to happen through the flip of a switch. No, instead, salvation would have to come through the descendants of Abraham, the promised seed. At the end of Genesis, we find the seed down in Egypt. They were more or less driven there on account of a famine in Canaan, and God's providential working through Joseph's life. Who knows what would have become of Abraham's descendants apart from Joseph. But because God had more or less planted Joseph in Egypt, not just in Egypt but in the very court of Pharaoh, his brothers and their kin were able to join him in a land that was well provided for, and so all Israel was saved, at least for the time being. Eventually, the Pharaoh who knew and respected Joseph died, and a new Pharaoh came into power, one who knew not Joseph. In time, Israel clearly, painfully so, was no longer welcome in Egypt. More exactly, if the Israelites were welcome at all, it was only as conscripted unpaid laborers Pharaoh had a number of building projects scheduled and seeing all the potential of an enslaved army of able-bodied men, God's chosen people were reduced to a life of oppressive service. Part of Pharaoh's hope in doing so was that the population of the twelve tribes would decrease, much to Pharaoh's...